2: constantcontact.com. My friend, who was my best friend in
3: the village, who failed to go to secondary school because her parents couldn't raise $6, and I was privileged to go, but she was brighter than me, is still where I left her. I always say,
4: please present me, the young girl who decided to leave school at 10 in order to be married at 12. Even I was surprised when we ran these numbers that it shows that almost 90% of the people remaining in extreme poverty will be in sub-Saharan
5: Africa by 2050. In today's world, you cannot reduce poverty Mm -hmm. if you don't reduce conflict. Mm. You cannot reduce hunger if Mm. you don't deal with conflict and war.
6: This is The Global Ghostcast, a podcast that asks if we can change the world. This episode, are we losing ground in the fight against extreme
7: poverty right after this? This episode was made possible thanks to the support of Cisco. And thank you to Harmon, the official sound of Global Goals Cast. Welcome back. I'm
6: Edie Lush. And I'm Claudia Romo Edelman. This episode, we look at the most fundamental of all the Sustainable Development Goals Goal number one. That's right. The
8: goal of eliminating extreme poverty by 2030. So, Claudia, did they make it goal one because it was the most important of the 17 Sustainable Development
6: Goals? Yes. All the other goals are based on ending poverty, and many are also essential to ending poverty, educating girls, curbing population growth, curtailing climate change, resolving conflicts.
8: And we know the world has made extraordinary progress in eradicating extreme poverty. In Asia,
6: a billion people have been lifted up. But now Bill Gates is sounding an alarm.
4: Even I was surprised when we ran these numbers that it shows that almost 90% of the people remaining in extreme poverty will be in Sub-Saharan Africa by 2050. And so what this means is that this poverty is going to be a feature of life in a few places, and these are places where there are the fewest opportunities. Some of these places, there's violence, a lack of stability. These are places where climate change will make these subsistence farmers' lives more difficult. Also, these are often places where the governance is not providing the primary health care or education, even at a basic level. And every one of these places are exactly where we're experiencing rapid population growth. The geography of births in the world is changing, uh, and this is something that's really fascinating. Over the rest of the century, the number of babies born stays about the same. We've really reached peak baby. We can see that the places that they're born are changing.
6: That was Bill Gates at his goalkeeper's event during the Global Goals Week in New York. That was very well done for getting all those words out. I know. Concentrated poverty in Africa, that's what Bill and Melinda Gates warned about in a report from their foundation. Later in this episode, we will hear from an expert who helped prepare that report. But
8: first, let's talk about the solutions. Gates stressed to us in the audience that the situation is far from hopeless. He was calling the world's attention
6: to present trends so the world would change those trends. China and India have beaten extreme poverty, and they are already success stories in Africa. And
8: you know how much we love success stories. We do. Here on the Global Goalscast. The world needs to take what we already know works well and do much, much more of it.
6: That was the message from Bill and Melinda Gates invest in people and what they call human capital. So, Iri, why don't we start with your conversation with an African leader that you caught up at the United Nations? I have to admit, she's one of my favorites.
3: My name is Joyce Banda. I am former president of the Republic of Malawi, but I've been in the women's movement for 35 years. So people know me for the work that I've done in the Joyce Banda Foundation. I am convinced that Africa will change for the better. And I would caution that we have done well. We've done our best. We've been leaders even before colonization. And we are leaders today. And we are participating. And we have had four female presidents. There are other continents that are still trying to get one woman into state house that I know. Still waiting here in the US. I also know from the
8: work I've done on the Global Goals cast how important it is to keep girls in secondary education okay. so that they can make the right choices True. at age fifteen. Here at the goalkeepers event, President Macron was blunt about this. Let me play it.
4: I always say please present me as a lady who decided being perfectly educated to have seven, eight, nine children. Please present me, the young girl who decided to leave school at 10 in order to be married at 12. And this is not teaching African people from New York. This is a pure bullshit to say that.
8: So tell me what you think we can do to support girls
3: at that really important stage. I'm glad you asked that question. The Joyce Panda Foundation runs two secondary schools, and I hope that one day you can have a chance to visit. One of them is urban-based. The other one is rural-based in the community because my friend, who was my best friend in the village, who failed to go to secondary school because her uh, parents couldn't raise $6, and I was privileged to go, but she was brighter than me, is still where I left her. So Krise lost out and I went all the way to State House. And I think that is the greatest injustice to the 130 million girls that are not going to school. So I engaged Chris, I even brought her to America here. We even met together Gordon Brown in 2013. So she's my fellow champion in the village. She's the one who goes looking for children, girls that we can send to our school in the village. But that village we target girls and boys that are from child-headed households. So what needs to happen now is that most countries, they have free private education, but secondary education is not free. Mm. Our school is one of the only three free secondary schools in Malawi. Mm. So what we need to do is to find a way of providing free education to these girls when they get to 11 years old, now they are going to secondary school, because when a girl stays four more years in secondary school in Africa, in the village, it's not only about her future, it's about her health as well. Because then we will hopefully, we avoid her getting married at 11, Mm -hmm. at 12. And in Malaya, I've seen a nine-year-old bride. But when she gets to go to secondary school, then it is four more years. And your research and mine Mm -hmm. have taught us that most of those that are dying giving birth are between 12 and 19. So secondary education, to agree with what you've just said, is critical in many ways, but it is important for us to find a way because there are many countries that have decided. Ghana has just introduced free secondary education, but you can see the challenges now. Dr. Joyce Banda, the former president of
6: Malawi, a really inspiring person, and I absolutely do hope to visit her schools. Yes, I'm sure everybody would like to hear more. And maybe, Edie, maybe in season two, we will have some funding to send you to Malawi. Oh, my God, and Michelle, too, she's waving, okay, together with our producer. <laughs> but for now, we learned so much during this, what we call the Global Goals Week that happens at the framework of the United Nations General Assembly and also from the Keepers, from the people that came from all over the world to discuss precisely the advancement of the Sustainable Development Goals this September. We've said so often, Claudia, that educating girls is the single most powerful tool for ending extreme poverty and improving societies. Yes, and part of what Bill Gates is saying is that the challenge in parts of Africa is deep and complicated. Made more so because the population is growing fastest in
8: some of the poorest and most distressed places. So ending strife goes hand in hand with education, improving agriculture and curbing climate change, as well as population
6: growth. Idi, you spoke to a child soldier from Sierra Leone, right?
8: Yes, a child soldier who was rescued by some women from UNICEF and is now an education activist with a vision.
9: My name is Mohamed Sidibe. I was born in a country that was engaged in a 10-year war in which I got involved in it when I was five. The rebels came to my village and they played God on the lives of my entire family, and it took me. And so I became a child soldier from when I was five until uh, I was ten. Like most wars, uh, the war in Sierra Leone ended, and I found myself in the streets of Freetown, um, not knowing how to read or write and being homeless and orphaned. Uh, And at ten years old, that's not a situation I should have been in.
8: And so what did you do? What happened?
9: Thanks to UNICEF, who helped to get me in school, and then thanks to organizations like the IEARN, the My Hero Project, I serendipitously came to the United States four years after um, I got out of the war. I was 14 at the time, and I came to speak at a conference on the topic, Jillian Cotton Crossfire. And it was supposed to last a week, and that week has morphed into 11 years now. Before coming to America, I thought America was the greatest country in the world, uh, and that Sierra Leone was a country of violence, and I never wanted to go back, because Sierra Leone has done nothing but take away everything from me and has never given me anything. But I quickly realized that I was wrong on both fronts, that Sierra Leone was not a country of violence, it was just violence was an aspect of my culture to which I was introduced to, and America it was not the, it's not the perfect society that I imagine it to be. That is a country of paradox um, in so many ways.
8: That's putting it lightly, I would say. <laughs> uh, you credit UNICEF and, and some education for what saved you. Yes. Is that the right way to put it? Yes. Tell me a little more about that journey. What was it specifically about that education that opened your worldview?
9: When you were a kid, there are people take it for granted in the West. The ability to learn how to read and write, the ability to see your name and recognize that it's your name, it gives you ownership. And so by fighting to ensure that I was enrolled in school, so that I learned how to spell and how to read and write, I gained ownership of who I was. Now, granted, the the, the circumstances and the situation were not ideal, but I think that was like the first step
8: when I interview you in a year what's going to be an incrementable bit of success that we can talk about?
9: My hope is right now there's a ban on girls education pregnant girls to be specific pregnant girls are being prevented from going to school with a government that says universal education for all in a year I hope that that will not be the case that that will be a ban that this government will realize under President Beale says this is not right and we're going to reverse that ban furthermore there are a lot of new powerful positions have been created within the President's Bios administration of inclusion for young people, but what I'm seeing is these powerful positions have been created have been mainly filled by boys. In a country that has more women than men, it should not be this way. So in a year term, I hope that Presidents will continue to create more opportunities and more high-profile jobs and make sure that women are the one filling these roles because like, to me that's important because most of nine point ninety-nine point nine nine percent of the people who've had the biggest impact in my life, who've helped shaped my life and my vision of the world, and who've ensured that I am where I am today have been women. And I think it's time that we give credit where credit's due.
6: Good for Mohammed Sidibe of Sierra Leone. It was very moving to hear his
8: story. And to recognize that both he and Joyce Banda were telling personal stories that represent a broad path forward for Africa to break out of the trends
6: Bill Gates is warning about. Yes, exactly. You spoke to one of our partners who had a very important perspective of how complex eradicating poverty is now and why the path leads straight through one other of the
8: global goals. His name is Neil Geyer, and he's the CEO of Mercy Corps. Now I know that you're most concerned about goal number 16. For those who don't know it, tell us what it is and why.
5: Goal 16 essentially relates to peace, justice, Mm -hmm. and good sound institutions. Mm -hmm. The reason that we think that goal 16 is so important, in fact the most critical goal, is because in today's world you cannot reduce poverty Mm -hmm. if you don't reduce conflict. Mm -hmm. You cannot reduce hunger if you don't deal with conflict and war, if you don't promote peace. You cannot continue to make progress around health and education. And the reason is, is because poverty, poor health, poor education outcomes, unclean water, hunger, they're all clustering in a set of fragile states. So that's why it is absolutely essential that we make progress in addressing some of the fundamental conflicts around the world. Otherwise, we will not achieve the aspiration of the Sustainable Development Goals.
8: Tell me what you're seeing, the kind of work that you do with fragile communities, with people who are really under pressure.
5: We have to recognize, particularly in these fragile states, these places where poor governance, conflict, Mm -hmm. and extreme poverty all collide and keep people trapped, keep Mm -hmm. people from moving forward that the interventions that worked in more stable places mm-hmm. where we've seen such dramatic results from China to India mm-hmm. to Indonesia and on and on, and you know the results have been spectacular. Mm-hmm. Those same formulas don't work in fragile states. And of course, there are no silver bullets. There is no shiny solution. There's no great innovation or app mm-hmm. that's gonna come in and turn around these environments. Investing in women, gender mm-hmm. equality is going to be critical and mm-hmm. an essential part of it. But at Mercy Corps, we talk about the three G's mm-hmm. as the way forward, as in a way way to think about it. First, G is grievance, and we've in many of these places. You have to address underlying, deep-seated, historic grievances that are often aggravated and accelerated by you know, modern political mm-hmm. leaders. But if you don't address underlying grievance, if you don't help people see a common future together, then you won't make progress. Mm-hmm. Secondly is governance. I think the development community has been weak on governance. And I don't mean the functioning of government. What I mean is the relationship between government, private sector and some form of community or civil society Mm. but in whatever we do whatever our interventions whether it's education whether it's health we have to do that in a way that strengthens systems of governance and then the third g is growth is economic growth Mm. because in these fragile places you cannot sustain the gains in health education and social welfare if you don't simultaneously have inclusive enough growth that is absolutely essential as we see everywhere so we think when you can put the three g's together you can actually begin to turn around fragile states put them on a more stable potentially more peaceful and prosperous pathway forward
8: that's neil kenny of mercy Corps with their three g's of sustainable development heal grievances improve governance and drive growth here at global goalscast we add a fourth g Gender equity. You said it, Edie. We need
6: all four Gs to achieve the SDGs. <laughs> you do sound like a cheerleader a little bit. <laughs> I, I always wanted to be one. Did you? Yeah, but in Mexico, we don't have this, <laughs> We don't have American football, so. OK. And when we come back, we will speak with two experts about
8: population growth in Africa, how some countries have slowed population growth and others have not, and why this matters so much.
6: Listeners will know from our last episode about Cisco's initiative with middle school kids called the Global Problem Solvers. That is only a small part of what they do to use technology and expertise to make a positive impact on people, society, and the planet, and also to create an inclusive digital economy. Idie caught up with Amanda Cumberland at the World Economics Forum Sustainable Development Impact Summit during the UNGA. Amanda works at Cisco Corporate Affairs on a strategic insights team that does research, analytics and business intelligence.
8: You've got some new research that you've done on skilling, on world of work, where our children are going to be when they enter the work field. Tell me, give me the the broad brushes, first of all.
10: So recently, we did a a research study partnering with Oxford Economics. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to really understand the impact of technology on the labor market, the future labor market. And that includes jobs, of course, and skills of the future. And we did this sort of complex modeling looking at what jobs are going to change over the next 10 years. And which jobs are gonna be more at risk for displacement. We know technology creates jobs as well. And so the more we can anticipate that and understand, you know, the changes that are happening and the skills that are really needed for the future, the more we can help prepare, right, the future workforce. We looked at okay, what are those skills that are gonna be less required? And so things that are a little bit more routine in terms of communication, mm-hmm. administration and things obviously are gonna be a little bit easier to automate. Mm-hmm. And skills that require, you know, critical thinking and and creativity and design, you know, Mm -hmm. are all going to be less, you know, likely to be automated. I think we all talk about the technology skills and how important those are and how fast everything is Mm. changing. But what was really interesting also is on top of that, we found there's a 32% skills gap in human skills, what we called human skills over Mm. the next 10 years. What's a human skill? Yeah, it's a great question. So things like negotiation and Mm. persuasion, social perceptiveness, Mm -hmm. instructing, you know, teaching, those things. Mm -hmm are really going to be more important given a lot of the complexity that's happening with the new digital world, but also all of the data, right, all the complicated, you know, changes that are happening, Mm -hmm. but it's also less likely to be automated. It's more human, frankly. Mm -hmm. We also looked at, for specific jobs that may be, you know, displaced for a specific person in a specific role, Mm -hmm. you know, what are the probable jobs they could move into? So what does that mean? What kind of skills, you know, would they have that could be translated into other type jobs? Mm -hmm. So just looking at data around the historical patterns when Jobs that required those skills were displaced, what kind of jobs could they Mm -hmm. move into, and then what are those gaps that they need to fill Mm -hmm. so that it could be very specific also.
6: We're back. Let's go straight to your conversation with Dr. Joni Bewa, whom you and I met through the Gates Foundation. She's a physician from Benin who told us about what made her become a doctor.
11: That's a very sad story of a best friend of mine who at 12 years old had this unwanted pregnancy. She didn't know who to talk to, how to address it and she just just did an abortion and unfortunately she never came back to school. She died and from this moment I realized that there is like a gap because school does not teach you anything about that. It does not cover sexuality at all. And then I decided to begin um, to work as an activist and actually to become a physician also to meaningfully address um, the lack of access to health services. Tell me about
8: that. Tell me what the challenges are that you face in helping young women get reproductive health services
11: sexuality is taboo in some areas in the world and sometimes it may not be easy to talk about this issue or there can be like some hesitation for young girls actually to discuss about it even though they need this information but a good thing is when you try to find the funniest way or the most relaxed way to address this issue you realize that they ask questions and they want more they even want more than what you anticipated an example, I used to do demonstration on how to use male condom, mm-hmm. but also female condom. And you can see the energy in the room of <laughs> women and girls and boys who wants to really know how to use that mm-hmm. because school actually doesn't address that issue.
8: It's totally obvious to me that youth, and especially young women, have an incredibly important role to play at this. And I love your idea about bringing humor to it. Tell me a little bit more. What did you do? Did you Were you putting them on cucumbers? What were you doing?
11: <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, I just start like, as if I want to talk about a serious issue. Mm-hmm. And so people are very, like, attentive, and I'm like, okay, so we are going to talk about how to use female conduct. Who wants to show me? and everyone is just hesitant. I'm like, okay, then I will show you. (laughs) And then I just remove it and I say, okay, this is how to use it, this is what not to do. And they realize that they, especially for female condom or maybe even for oral contraception, you realize that they don't know body image. Healthy relationship is also the kind of thing that we discuss about. So it's a wide range of workshop or community dialogue of using soccer or social media try to use every strategy to to bring young people together. This brings us to a discussion
6: about the giant elephant in the room. One of the keys to keep progress going forward is to slow down the rapid rates of population growth in parts of Africa. This is not about population control. This is about human rights. This is about giving women
8: in places like northern Nigeria, Democratic Republic of Congo and the other eight countries where population is projected to double by 2050 the right to decide when they get married and how many children they want to have. This was explained to me by Alex Aze, an African demographer who wrote a section of the Gates' report on population in Africa.
12: Much of the birth that is driving the growth in the population are actually unwanted. Uh, These are women who, have exceeded the number of children they would have wanted if they have control over their reproduction. The women who've decided they don't want to have any more children or they want to delay their next birth by at least two years, but they are not using any effective methods of contraception. And because of this, they end up with unwanted fertility, which can be mistimed or not wanted at all. And if you can actually help these women to manage that, you can reduce fertility rates and population growth rate ultimately by as much as 30% in many of these countries. And the second thing that is driving this rapid growth is the fact that for many of these countries, the age at first marriage, which actually is a proxy for age at first birth, is very low. And by simply changing that by a small margin, by having policies that prohibit child marriage, and that's marriage to children under 18 years of age, we can significantly reduce the rate of growth of the population in many of these countries. If we invest in female education and we help uh, girls go to school and finish primary, go to secondary, We know that many of these women with secondary education at least make different decisions with respect to childbearing, with respect to the investments they make in their children, with respect to other opportunities they may have in life. And each of these opportunities that such education grants women also leads over time and over and over again to much reduced rates of population growth because those women have fewer children than those who've never gone to school, they are more likely to use family planning than those who've never gone to school, they are more likely to invest in their children and their children are more likely to go to school. So you have a multiplier effect of such decisions and investments.
6: So we're back to where we started not only with Dr. Joyce Banda in this episode, but in one of the very first episodes of season one, Educating Girls.
8: Doesn't that seem like a long time ago? I know. There's a lot we haven't mentioned in this episode that helps lift people out of extreme poverty. Investing in human capital also means investing in health, in agricultural innovation, which can turn farmers from subsistence farming to selling to the market, which we're going to cover in our next episode on food security.
6: So this brings us to the end of the program. This is where we're going to wrap the issue. And I have to say, for me, this was really an exciting time. Normally, you have the development bubble, the people that work in my world, talking to ourselves increasingly loud. And (laughs) that's pretty much what, you know, what it is. And we're focusing on the problems and the solutions and so on. But at the end of the day, what I love is that this time around, it felt like the bubble busted and that there were by far more people interested i feel the traction coming in from you know like the gates foundation doing the goals keepers and being extremely cool and with music and young people the Mm. world economic forum devoted an entire summit Mm. in new york to talk about the sustainable development goals and us we hosted a party to kick Mm. off the united nations that was fun even we had a name eating the global goals week that's amazing, and you, you can only imagine that if we can keep going and cascading, the energy can keep on going and cascading into other parts of the world. What I also noticed was not only what you said there, young people,
8: solutions, not just problems, but also how all these things are connected, and what it seems to me is that these goals and the way to think of them is that they're like a circle rather than a kind of pyramid of some being more important than the other. They're complicated, they're
6: global, and they're all connected. Interconnected, indeed. And what you just said about like the young people and incentives and awards. I saw we ourselves, we created an award, we gave it to people like the champion of humanity. Mm. And I loved actually that the report of the Gates Foundation and the Goals Keepers had uh, were these and were shining a light Yes, and issues that we have to pay attention, but also on the things that are working on the things that we can pay attention to scale them up because they are solutions to bigger problems if we scale them up. And it brings us
8: to this issue about human capital. So
6: building roads,
8: investing in, in capital, capital expenditure. It's easy. It's fast. You spend money and you see a result. Investing in human capital takes longer. It takes patience. But what we've learned from China and India is that if you do invest that money,
6: you see the results. So we want to leave you with a sense of progress. We want to leave you with a sense of interconnectedness and investment on human capital. So if you take the goal,
8: here are our facts and actions that we're going to give you. Fact number one, since 2000, more than a billion people have lifted themselves out of poverty. That number is so huge it's almost impossible to appreciate what an enormous
6: achievement it is fact number two extreme poverty is becoming heavily concentrated in some regions in sub-saharan African countries in particular by 2050 that is where 86 percent of the extremely poor people living on less than 1.90 dollars a day are projected to leave fact number three
8: For most African countries, the outlook is positive. For example, Ethiopia, once known principally in the West for famine, will likely almost eliminate extreme poverty by 2050. That brings us to our actions. These are taken from Be The Change. Number one, clean out your pantry. Fill a box with non-perishable foods and donate it to a food bank. I actually did this this morning before I got on the plane to come here, and I know that in London, cans of tomatoes and fruit are always welcome.
6: Action number two, do something good, volunteer, or actually sponsor a child so that they can have access to food, education, and health. Our producer, Michelle, does that for a boy in Malawi. There are many organizations out there that have an option for you to engage. Be Save the Children, World Vision, UNICEF, World Food Program, just go and do something. And action number three, on your birthday, offer the
8: option to donate money to your chosen charity in replacement of a gift. I think you did this the other
6: day. You can even do this on your Facebook page. And those things do matter. Now for the second part of Edie's interview with Amanda Cumberland from our sponsor Cisco. Stay tuned because you want to hear about what Cisco is doing, I tell you. In 2016, Cisco set up an ambitious goal to positively impact one billion people with digital solutions by 2025.
8: Tell me about the the technology skills that people will need. I talk with my kids all the time about why are you doing more coding in school? <laughs> but then I hear teachers telling me well it's not just coding that they need. What do schools need to be doing? In our study we
10: looked at things based on our own database and mm-hmm. so besides programming application development I think are big you know skills um, now, right, mm-hmm. currently and in the future, but also skills around security, cybersecurity, and mm-hmm. um, that's a real big growing area that we've seen with other research mm-hmm. actually too. It's critical because of all the connections that are happening. Mm-hmm. So how do you secure, right, the networks? How do you secure mm-hmm. all this data that's happening? Also, because of data, you can mm-hmm. imagine, data analytics, data scientists are more and more in demand. Mm-hmm. It's one of my passions, something that I've um, always been interested in and done, but now Mm -hmm. it's even more pervasive and needed across Mm -hmm. industries, across jobs. Analyzing
8: all the data that comes in. Yes,
10: and it's for anyone almost. Is going to have to have some data skills, Mm -hmm. even if they're not sort of PhD, you know, modeling type data analytics people. There's so much data that just understanding how to navigate data, understand Mm -hmm. data.
8: And I know that Cisco does a lot of work, not just with the middle school kids on the global problem solvers, but with high schools, with colleges, community colleges. Tell me what that is, and the effect you've seen on those people who've gone through it.
10: We have a huge program um, called the Networking Academy program. It's actually twenty years old now, oh, so we're very proud of it. Congratulations! Um, yes, and we have over a million students a year uh, take courses, and that's like you, like you mentioned through high schools, through community colleges, or universities around mm-hmm. the world, and. We, we're very proud of that program. We develop the curriculum, we give it away for free to the schools to use. And it is teaching um, technology skills like networking mm-hmm. skills, which mm-hmm. are also, networking is the foundation, mm-hmm. right, for digital. Without the network, none of the connections, mm-hmm. IoT, you name it, can happen. Mm-hmm. So looking at not only networking we have courses around IOT mm-hmm. um, also security that we talked about and then even entrepreneurship skills hmm. and things like that so it's great that if you're in one of the schools or want to set up for a Networking Academy program you know we you can go to netacad.com mm-hmm. and, um, and see more about like if there's a school nearby that's actually teaching our curricula. but we're really excited about it and what we've noticed is in terms of outcomes you know that uh, students that take our courses at least what we call our CCNA program which is um, teaching networking skills that's aligned to our industry certification, our CCNA certifications. Those students who have at least taken all those four courses, and also some of the students that have taken just one or two of those CCNA courses, we found that um, 1.6 million students over the past, um, since 2005 really, have said that they've gotten a brand Hmm. new job because of taking courses, so they've attributed it to our courses, yeah, so we're, and again that's around the world in over 170 countries, so. Great. Well, thank you very much for stopping. I yes, know you've got a plan to catch. We'll let you go get <laughs> thank it. Thank
8: you. Um, but thank you very much for joining us, and we will see you again. And thanks for joining us. Do follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to our podcasts. Give us five stars. We'll love you forever.
6: This is Edie Lush. And I'm Claudia Romo-Edelman. And this is the Global Goals Cast. Thank you for being
7: with us. Bye. to our partners at the United Nations, UNICEF, World Food Program, UN Foundation, SDG Action Campaign of the Office of the UN Development Program, International Office for Migration, International Development Law Organization, Malaria No More, Rollback Malaria, Project Everyone, and Public Foundation. We are also grateful for the support of Hub Culture, SAS, Cultural Intelligence, Freud's Communication. Sachi and Sachi, action button, and of course CBS News Digital. We want to recognize individual champions who have been supporting Global Goals Cast, including David Sable, David Jones, Will Lewis, and Seven Hills. And then to our amazing advisory board: Jacob Weisberg, Steve Rubel, Kate Stanners, Dolly Schoenfelder, Matthew Freud, Chrissy Tanner, Fawn mataros Ying Yingyong. Sergio Fernandez de Cordova, Dinesh Pillowall, and Scarlett Curtis.
0: Are you ready to turn your best ideas into a thriving online business? Introducing Shopify, your
1: no-excuses business partner. You might not realize, but our podcast, More Than Mammies, it's a business. And we started it, of course, to talk about maternity, not to become an e-commerce expert.
0: So yeah, we needed some help selling our merch and getting our start up and running. (laughs)